want to invite you there in your home this morning to grab a Bible. Turn with me to our gospel reading of John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we'll be. Before we go into our text this morning, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we're in need of your peace and truth to soothe our hearts and our spirits right now. Father, we need your peace uh, for our pressing needs and worries that can feel overwhelming. We need to be reminded of your constant love and healing and grace. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning from you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Twelve weeks ago, or even eight weeks ago, if you would have said to someone that we live in uncertain times, they probably would have looked at you like you were from Mars. Yet today we find ourselves in very uncertain times. The stock market has seen a downturn of at least 25%. We've seen March 9th become Black Monday. We have seen March 12th become Black Thursday, followed by March 16th as Black Monday Part 2. The coronavirus pandemic has infected hundreds of thousands. It's caused major disruptions of everyday life. That include the cancellations of school, sporting events, cultural events, and can even be seen this morning that it's disrupted things as sacred as church. With everything that's going on, it brings adversity, typically accompanied by emotional pain. On a smaller scale, it may bring frustration and anxiety-producing events of daily life, which may include not finding any toilet paper, which momentarily grab our attention and rob us of our peace of mind. I think this is where most of us are this morning. It is these frustrations, anxieties, and disappointments that tempt us to fret and fume and worry. The things that we typically relish and love have been plucked from our very lives. And we, we feel vulnerable in these days. One author has aptly captured the flavor of how such frustrations can cause us to doubt God in a devotional book for high schoolers entitled, If God Loves Me, Why Can't I, e why can't I Get My Locker Open? And we may smile a little at the scene such a title brings to our imagination, but the fact is this is the plane of adversity on which many of us live each day. God's people are not immune from such pain. So the question that naturally arises through all of this uncertainty is, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? That essentially was the question that both Martha and Mary had in our text this morning. You know the story well. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, have a brother named Lazarus who has died. Martha says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, in verse 32, says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear them? Where, where were you? 
You were absent and this happened. If you would have been here. This is often our default answer, isn't it? Through adversity, pain and suffering and anxiety-filled days. God, where are you? And what I want you to see with your eyes and feel with your heart and know with your mind is that you and I serve a God who is there. We, not, we may not be able to see past the fog and see what's ahead, but my hope is that as we see Jesus in this text, that it will be him that provides light for us. Jesus meets both Martha and Mary in their pain in three ways, as the perfect prophet, as the perfect priest, and as the perfect king. And so first, Jesus here is embodying the perfect prophet. I want you to see how Jesus compassionately enters into Martha's suffering. As a prophet, what does a prophet do? A prophet reveals truth and the assurance of promises. If you look at verses 25 and 26, Jesus assures her by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so in this brief interaction, we are reminded that in the Bible, the people of God don't get answers as often as we get promises. And so part of learning to live by faith is learning to live in the questions. It's learning to live in the questions as we cling to the promises. And so Christians are a people that stake their lives on the promises of God. Jesus here is compassionately entering into his friend's suffering and offering her assurance in his promise of resurrection. And I think what Jesus is doing for Martha as the perfect prophet is he's giving her a horizon. He's giving her a horizon for her sadness and suffering. He is basically assuring her that in the end, there's victory. You know, walking is one of the main images in the Bible for facing suffering. Just walking. And so Psalm 23, when we read it, we read, When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just walking. Psalm 73, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Isaiah 43, when you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Not if you pass, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you walk, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame cannot consume you. You keep walking. You should have noticed that those passages, they, they don't tell you how to feel. They're telling you which direction to walk. There's a horizon that you're heading towards. And that is how you carry a lantern in the darkness. You call to mind God's truth, God's promises, even though they feel infinitely far away, and you just keep walking. 
and you walk towards the mountains, towards the place of joy, Jesus is the perfect prophet. He also embodies the perfect priest. Beginning in verse 28, we see the most beautiful interactions recorded between Jesus and another person in the Bible. Knowing that Mary is suffering deep, deeply, Jesus called for her. And do you notice what she does? She runs to him. She falls at his feet. So she's at the feet of God in the flesh. She's probably hysterically crying, weeping, and she cries out. Notice the same words that her sister cried out in verse 21. The same words that we so often cry out in our sadness and suffering. Where were you? She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Did you notice how Jesus responds to her cry? How dare you? How dare you question me? How dare you question the sovereign God? No. How does Jesus respond? We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. How does Jesus respond? Verse 35, the shortest verse and one of the most profound statements in the Bible. Jesus wept. I don't know what you imagine God's posture to be toward you in the midst of your suffering and grief. But in Jesus, we have a God who weeps with us. We have a God who weeps with us. This is the God that you have. Jesus is the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Jesus sees your tears. He has borne our grief. He has carried our sorrow. He will not break the bruised reed. He's near to the brokenhearted. He will bind up your wounds. This is the one to whom you pray. This is the God that we have. Let us then with confidence, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace of help in the time of need. You know, becoming more like Jesus will mean that there is more lament in your life because you now have eyes to see that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. You have eyes to see the sadness and the suffering all around you. Isn't that what we have seen here in the past few weeks? The sadness, this suffering, these anxiety-filled days of not knowing what this pandemic will bring to you and to me. And so we, we've seen Christ as our prophet. We've seen Christ as our priest. And third and last and very briefly, I want you to see Jesus here embodying the perfect king. You see Jesus still with Mary in verse 33 he not only weeps with her, but when he sees the reality of her suffering over her brother's death, when he sees the sadness that's covering this place by which he comes to, when he sees, as John Calvin says, the general misery of the whole human race, verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit. You see the same language in verse 38. When he approaches the tomb, Jesus deeply moved again. 
Many commentators know that this phrase, deeply moved, indicates the grunt, the, the grunt that a war horse makes as it charges into battle. And so the question is, what, what does this mean for you? What does it mean for me? As Jesus approaches death, as he approaches the presence of death, his eyes are not only filled with tears, but his heart is filled with a righteous rage. He's not only a priest who grieves beside us, but he is a king who goes into battle for us. And so he sees death. He sees the last enemy, death itself, and he is righteously enraged with its temporary power. And so he says, it's like, it's like what a sergeant does to his privates. He says, verse 39, take away the stone. Verse 43, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, it's one word. Loose him, unbind him, and let him go. And so Jesus is here as the great king. And if you look at the next section, verses 45 to 57, which we didn't read this morning, and specifically in verse 53, you see that Jesus knew that for him to raise Lazarus, Jesus knew that for Lazarus to come out of the tomb, he would have to go in. Jesus is giving us a horizon to see. For Lazarus to truly live, he will eventually have to give his life on the cross at Calvary, crush Satan's head, and will rise with healing in his wings. That's the horizon. We know the end of the story, don't we? I think oftentimes we need to remind ourselves. You get to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 7, and you have a a giant multitude that no one can number from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And they look up at the throne and they see Jesus. And it says that he will guide them to springs of living water. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus, our prophet, our priest, our king, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And I want to tell you, as I tell my own heart, to walk to lament and to rejoice while it's still dark. As you're asking, as I'm asking, will I be loved? Will it be okay? Will it be worth it? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy, brothers and sisters, comes in the morning. On that day, that revelation is talking about, on that day, As you are on the mountain at the place of joy, you will see the face of God and you will experience the heart of God. And you can say with the psalmist, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and I will walk 
before the Lord in the land of the living. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this encouraging word. We need an encouraging word this day. And so I pray, Lord, for my listeners, wherever they may be, I pray for them that you would encourage them, that you would give them peace through the anxieties of these days that lie ahead, knowing that in the end, we have Christ. We have Christ as the perfect prophet and the perfect priest and the perfect king. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for Calvary. And so, Father, we pray that you would embolden us and encourage us and give us courage in these days that lie ahead. Not knowing what may lie ahead, I pray, Lord, that you would be our light. Light our path. Give us your words. And always allow us to know the truth that you are a God who is there. And I pray this in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.